morning. So we're Adam and Lily Trust. We have um, two daughters, Fincher and Poppy, who are next door. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> we're going to um, read for you guys this morning. there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Phrygia and Pomphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Mm. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. <clears throat> For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants female servants, in those days I will pour out my, my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, <clears throat> vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, dear Lord. We are so thankful for this church and this community of believers, dear Lord. We're so thankful that you sent your spirit down for everyone, dear Lord. We ask that you would um, just be with Luke today as he dives deeper into this word. And um, we, we are so thankful for you. Amen. Thank you, guys. Amen. Good morning, church. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. I find one thing in common when these married couples have been reading Scripture. The wife pronounces all the hard words. So I don't know if they play rock, paper, scissors to do that, but well done, Lily, this morning. Acts chapter 2, good to see you this morning. A couple uh, things for you to know about. First and foremost, um, Justin sent me a text Friday afternoon. He, uh, he was tested positive for COVID Friday, but he's okay. Um, got some infusion and on some meds. And uh, so I'm out of the bullpen this morning. So anyway, um, he's okay, Ashley, and girls, everybody's okay. Just pray for him this week uh, as he recovers from that. I don't think he would care if I, I told you all this. You know, he was encouraged by the medical personnel to, to walk around, just get away from people, but walk around. So I think he, he got in a tree yesterday and deer hunted, okay? So he's fine, okay? So <laughs> anyway, but just keeping his distance, and uh, he's feeling good. But that's why I'm here this, this morning preaching uh, to you because he was supposed to preach this morning. Just pray for them and uh, may shoot him a text just of encouragement um, later today um, that we're thinking of him. Acts chapter 2, as uh, Lily and Adam just shared with us, our passage this morning is Acts chapter 2, verse 5 through 21. Just a little recap from last week. The day of Pentecost has come. Jesus has ascended, and 10 days later, the Spirit is poured out on the disciples. We looked last week about the signs that followed so that God could let everyone know what was happening. There was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. There was a uh, tongues, remember as the fire came down and it separated and it rested on each one of the disciples. Remember, we, we saw that every person, no matter whether you were an apostle or you were an unnamed saint in that event, you have equal access and dignity and value because God has put the same spirit inside all of us. What an awesome thing to see last week. And they were filled with the spirit. And then they begin to speak in other languages. Now, we learned last week that these were actual languages. This was not babbling. This was not nonsensical things. We looked later in the book of Acts that there's actually this word that was used by Luke was contrasted, 
with another word that meant to babble like a crazy person, but this was actual languages that they didn't know. They didn't do a Rosetta Stone crash course, and they were able to speak them. Now, when we get to chapter five, or chapter 2, verse 5 in our portion today, we're going to see, and this is the title of the message today, we're going to see the crowd, a crowd that gathers as a result of this outpouring of the Spirit, and then we're going to see the beginning of Peter's explanation. Justin was going to preach today, and he'll preach the next two weeks, because he wanted to take this whole, really, sermon, we should say, of Peter explaining what happened, and then proclaiming. So next week, he'll, he'll continue in Peter's sermon, and we'll take two weeks uh, to look at what Peter said. But today, we need to see how the explanation began, and we see it because this crowd gathered. Now, you have a lot of crowds that gather for many different things. I was uh, in the city of Laurel between the bricks last night for the 100th anniversary of the Little Brown Jug game. If you don't know that, if you're from the outside and didn't grow up in Jones County, they took an old like whiskey jug like 100 years ago and they started playing for it, okay? Welcome to Jones County. That's how we roll. But it's between Hattiesburg and Laurel, and uh, this, the series was basically even last night, and, and Laurel won 50 to nothing. Well, usually when these things happen, the mayor of Hattiesburg and the mayor of Laurel will, you know, just kind of make a bet with each other. So Hattiesburg's mayor, a guy named Toby Barker, I went to Southern Miss with him. He basically, you know, in all this pomp and circumstance, as only a politician could do, basically said they were going to beat us. So Mayor McGee and him worked out a deal that whoever lost, the losing mayor, would have to, in full suit and tie, wash the other's mayor or car in front of City Hall. So last night, about 6.30, we're in pregame, and I shoot Toby Marker this message. I said, what a shame the jug will stay in the city beautiful tonight. He responds back very quickly, I'm unfamiliar with any city named beautiful. At the end of the second, or at the end of the first quarter, I text him. I said, "Well, whoever they are, they are beating you 14 to nothing right now." <laughs> and at 9:18, when the tornadoes were up by about 50, I sent him a picture of maximum strength, three levels of cleaning power, turtle wax, because <laughs> Mayor McGee will get a free car wash this week. But we we gather, crowds gather for many different things. Most of the time, almost all the time in our life, crowds gather for physical things. As we approach in just a month or so, we'll have a Christmas parade, and guess what? A crowd comes. We'll have Pancake Day. A crowd comes. Christmas shopping, a crowd comes. But here, we have a crowd gathering because not something naturally has happened, something supernatural has happened. Jesus has gone up. As a result, the Spirit has come down. Notice in verse 5, we see that this crowd gathers together. And it says, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation. And at this sound, the multitude came together. First truth this morning I want you to see is that the crowd came together. Let's talk about this crowd for a minute. This word multitude, this is a bunch of people. Now keep in mind that... Last week, we had to kind of jump into the Jewish mindset, because when we hear the word Pentecost, a Jewish feast that celebrates a wheat harvest doesn't first come to our mind, right? Um, we, we think what the word Pentecost means, or Pentecostal has meant in the last hundred years or so, but this was one of the seven feasts, and I told you last week, this is one of the three pilgrim feast where the Jews were required, every Jewish male was required to present himself to the Lord. If you want an Old Testament reference, I'll just give this to you in passing. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, and Exodus chapter 23, verse 17. Deuteronomy 16, 16, Exodus 23, 17. The feast of Passover and unleavened bread, and then seven weeks later, weeks, and then in the fall, the tabernacle of booths are the Feast of Tabernacles or of Booths. These were the three times throughout the year, early spring, right before early summer, and then late fall, the Jews would, every Jewish male was told to gather uh, together before the Lord in Jerusalem. And so that's why there is a multitude. This is why it's described not just as a, a little crowd of people, it's a, it's a big multitude. And even some people tend to think that Pentecost, because of where it fell, maybe late May, early June, this was probably the biggest that Jerusalem got some years because of harvest concerns early in the, in the spring or harvest issues late in the fall. So if you were going to at least try to bat you know, 300 and attend one of them, you would go where the calendar made it possible the most, and that was at Pentecost. 
So this crowd comes together, and Luke tells us specifically that they were from many places. That's what I want you to see first. This crowd was from many places. Lily, you did a great job listing all the places. 15 different geographic places listed. Now, we, we just should mention these to get you an idea of what's happening. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what these are, not so much that you can peg them as, yeah, that's where the Parthians were and that's where the Cretans were, but I want you to see how Luke is describing what this is. So the first group of people in verse 9 are Parthians, Medes, and Elamites. That is like modern-day Iran. That is the remnants of the Persian Empire, the Parthian Empire. Then he says, the residents of Mesopotamia. That is modern-day Iraq. The Tigris and the Euphrates River region. And then he goes to Judea. Now, most scholars think this isn't just like Judea that we would think, the southern portion of Israel. This is probably a, a statement that included where David had his empire. So you think Judea proper, as we would understand it in the New Testament, go more south, go more north, and you got basically the region of what Palestine is. Then you've got, and Lily, I don't have a friend to look to as I walk through these, as you look to Adam, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Adam, what was it? Fergia? Is that what we, we said? Pamphylia? These are portions of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. There's a reason for all this, y'all. Then there's Egypt, and then there's parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. This is the North African coast along the Mediterranean Sea. And then notice that there's also visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. There's Cretans, though those would be the island of Crete in the Mediterranean Sea. And then lastly, Arabians. This is a small kingdom that stretched from the Red Sea all the way up to Damascus and a little towards Mesopotamia. Now, why do I go through all that? I'm going to have to do this backwards so that y'all see it right. He starts in Iran. He moves to Iraq. He moves to Palestine. He goes up to Asia Minor. Then he dips down to the coast of Africa. And then he goes across the Mediterranean to Italy in Europe. And then he swings back in the Mediterranean with Crete, and then he ends up right next to Palestine. And you see what Luke's doing? Like with a paintbrush, he's like painting the entire known world at the time. You see that? He moves from east to west. Oh, well, forgot this spot. Boom, there it is. You know, you kind of touch up at the end. Got that one. And so really, if you were taking a highlighter, you would have taken a big circle around the known world at this time. Three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. And what that tells us is, is that the Jews had dispersed for a lot of reasons, exile and other reasons in the 400 years between Malachi and, and Matthew. But you can see that Jews had spread out all over the known world at the time. Now we're also told, look in verse 11, it says that these were both Jews and proselytes. See, these are ethnic Jews. These are people that were born of one of the tribes of Israel, but it also says proselyte. You'll see that word in the book of Acts. What is that? That is a Gentile that is converted to Judaism. So they've taken on the Jewish law, adherence to the Jewish law. The men would be circumcised. Sometimes they would even experience Jewish baptism. Now, now why do I tell you that? Because we're going to see in just a moment how wild this is. Is that just so, quote, randomly... On the day that the Spirit fell on a group of waiting believers because Jesus had gone up and now the Spirit has gone down in the same city of them are, is a multitude of people from all over the known world. Now that ain't a coincidence, right? So this crowd was from many, many different places. I would also point you to a word in verse 5 that says they were devout so this crowd was devout, and the Greek word there literally means they were receiving well or well taken, one who properly received something. Another definition is that they were God-fearing, meaning that whether they were Jews or Gentiles, they were listening to the commandment that three times a year you should gather in Jerusalem before the Lord, and guess what? They said, we need to be there. We need to do that. And so this isn't just kind of a run-of-the-mill crowd. These are people that are the most devout in Judaism. They've left Rome and Mesopotamia and Africa to gather at Jerusalem. So it's a crowd from many places. But I want you to see, secondly, that the crowd came together at this 
sound. Verse 6, it says that these guys from men and women, this multitude, they came together at this sound. Now, some people have taken that to, to mean that the sound like the mighty rushing wind that signified that the Spirit was coming upon them. That's not probably, most probably the best way to take it because the word sound there is literally like the sound of voices or of a voice. And if you look at it in verse 6, it says, at this sound, which would point back to verse 4, speaking in the other tongues, they came together and they were bewildered. They didn't know what was going on. Why? Because they were hearing each speak in his own language. So what's the sound there as Luke describes? It's the sound of all these languages. You could also look down in verse 8. They ask, how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? And in verse 11, we hear this in our own tongue. So three times Luke is basically saying the sound that brought them together was all these languages being spoken of as once. Now the dynamics of this were not told. So I don't know if as the Spirit fell on these believers that they were praising God in such a way that a crowd gathered at the house or some people have suggested that they left the house and they went on the street and they were walking up down the street praising God. And so people start gathering and eventually we find they end up around the temple. Whatever the dynamics are there, we're not told, but the point is the spirit was poured out. They begin to praise God. And as a result, the crowd comes together. Now I, I just want to stop here and cause us to think about something. What are the ways as we as Americans, what, what are some of the ways we as Americans do things to draw a crowd? But, but let's make it a little more sharper. What are some of the things the American church does <laughs> to draw a crowd? My pastor growing up said, he said, a fire and a dust cloud look the same from a distance. When you get closer to it, you find out whether something's on fire or if it's just a bunch of people kicking up dust. You know what I'm talking about? And think about so much of what the American church does is an effort in the flesh to try to gather people. And usually when the American church gathers people to something, it's so surface level and watered down that it can't even change a flea, much less a human heart. The old prophet Leonard Ravenhill said, you never have to advertise a fire. And what had happened was heavenly fire had fallen, and as a result, God was doing something that people were attracted. Now let me tell you this as a word of encouragement. Sometimes we don't even realize when God has set us on fire. Sometimes it's so unconscious to us and so conscious to everybody else. And sometimes God doesn't let us know that <laughs> for the simple reason we would take credit ourselves for what he's doing, correct? You know you like I know me, right? But there is an aspect of this early church that we should desire in our church. God, make us so on fire that the crowd comes together not to look at us and be in amazement of us, but may they be, be in amazement on what God is doing in us and through us. That's what's happening here. You see, a dust cloud is us whipping up activity, trying to bring something up. But what gathered this crowd was that fire was sent down from heaven. It wasn't of work so that no one could boast. It was all of grace in obedience to what Jesus was saying. So they come together and they're bewildered. And why are they bewildered? Because each one, verse six, was hearing them speak in his own language. And in verse seven, they begin to ask, are these not those who are speaking Galileans? Now, what do they mean by that? So the Jewish people probably spoke at this time, what, what Peter addresses the crowd later on would be Aramaic. And there was even a Galilean accent of Aramaic. You know, we have friends in England and they speak English proper. And then they make fun of the American English, which is basically like Northern English. And then we got a whole nother dialect called redneck down here. You know what I'm talking about? In just, uh, in just a couple weeks, you're going to look at somebody, you're going to go, Jeet? I'm like, what? Jeet? What? Have you eaten yet? Did you eat? Jeet? Don't judge me. Y'all do the same thing. No judgment this morning, right? In there. You know what I'm talking about? Boy, you better go in there with like this dialect, right? And so what's funny here is that these guys and these people and this multitude, these men and women are hearing not 
the intelligentsia of the Jewish people speaking in their own language, but these hick agricultural Galileans. God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So they come together at this sound, and I want you to see third, that this crowd was enabled to hear. Now let me go back to something I said last week. I won't spend that much time here, but this is important to note. Many times when we think of Pentecost, I'll say it again in case you missed last week or just to reinforce what you heard last week. Many times in Pentecost, we think that the miracle was in the speaking. Yeah, yeah, it is. But the greater miracle is that there were only 120, possibly at the most, that were speaking. The greater miracle is that there is a multitude of people that aren't counted individually that are hearing. It is a hearing miracle. It is that someone has come from Iraq, and they're hearing someone from Galilee speak their language perfectly. It's someone that's come from Rome that is hearing an uneducated fisherman. I always like to think, like, did, did the Lord give, like, Peter and James and John and Andrew, uneducated fishermen? Did, like, the Spirit, like, allow them to speak the most complex, like, cr- crazy language? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it, you know? Maybe somebody that was smarter than everybody else, they got the simplest language, you know? Just sometimes the Lord in his economy allows us to, humbles us and uses us in such a way. It's just fun things to think about. But there was two types of hearing that was going on. Obviously, they were enabled to hear with physical ears. And so it was the physical hearing that brought them together. So God is bringing people together through a hearing miracle. But how awesome is this, y'all? It wasn't just physical ears. They were hearing with spiritual ears. Because notice what they were hearing. If you'll go down to verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of of God. So this was not just a physical hearing. That I am hearing words and nouns and verbs and adjectives in my own language. But what happened was this created bewilderment, this created amazement, this created per- uh, them being perplexed. They were amazed and they were astonished because this was more than just surface level oral communication. They were hearing something in their heart. And the word that you find, our own tongues, our own languages, it's literally where we get dialect, not just language proper, but an offshoot, a subset of a language like Mississippi language, (laughs) where someone from the outside might not even understand it. Notice how specific the spirit is in his work here. This isn't generic, it's specific. It's to this individual, from this individual place, who has an individual name, who lives in a specific place, and the Spirit is specifically applying words here. Now think about what's awesome. They're being drawn together by physical hearing, and in their mind they're being perplexed because of what they hear physically. But really what's happening is God is drawing a big net spiritually for them to hear in their hearts. And I reminded you last week that there is a language that the Spirit himself alone preaches to our hearts for us to be drawn by the gospel. If you're born again today, you've heard that voice, right? He came and he called your name. He spoke to your heart. So they were enabled to hear, not just physically, but they were enabled to hear spiritually. But notice here that the crowd responded differently. Verse 12, they were amazed and perplexed. The word perplexed there literally means to be at a loss. You, you, you want to say something, but nothing comes out, right? You ever had that happen? Sometimes it happens preaching and you laugh at us. Like we, we want to say something and just the brain freezes. Here, they're so overcome with what they're experiencing, they're trying to describe it and they're perplexed. They're at a loss to explain it. They're even at a loss of words to be able to describe it. And the reason is they are blown away. Now, I hadn't seen this before in studying, but as Adam and Lily were here, I was was noticing that they asked several times, like, what does this mean? And this is earnest seeking. They're striving to understand. They want to know. They're, They're saying, what in the world does this mean? So sometimes when there is a work of the Spirit It causes people to seek, to understand. Why? So that just in a few verses, there will be proclamation of the gospel. 
There's people in our lives who we may not see yet, but they are being amazed and perplexed. The Spirit of God is stirring up their hearts. They've been sitting in the crockpot of circumstances or something they've heard or the reality of death and eternity. And we need to be spiritually sensitive so that when God puts us providentially and sovereignly among those people that we hear them, may not, they may not come out and say it, but they may be reaching out to say, what does this mean? And what we find out is long before we seek God, we find out he's seeking after us. God always takes the first step to the human heart. We would never step towards him, right? That's what scripture says. But if you're born again this morning, if you know Christ, it's because he came to you first. Amen? What does this mean? So they are amazed and they're seeking, but notice in verse 13, but others mocking, says they are filled with new wine. New wine's the type of stuff that gets you hammered, okay? Get you lit. What other words can I throw out? You get it, okay? They're mocking. Now, what's interesting here, we're not told, are, are these people that are hearing in their own tongues the mighty deeds of God, and yet they write it off as drunkenness? Or are these people that were just Jews from Jerusalem who don't speak any other language in Aramaic and maybe dabble in Hebrew, and they're hearing unintelligible sounds that are spoken languages, but they can't comprehend that. So we're not told which group it is. The point is that while some people were amazed and perplexed and seeking to understand, there were other people that were mocking, literally in the Greek, to make fun of, to joke at. <laughs> these dudes, these dudes got wasted last night. It's always that way when the gospel's preached, isn't it? But some people understand it crystal clear. Some people reject it with all their heart. In his commentary on Luke, Robert Stein makes this observation. Here, for the first time, appears a theme or a motive that runs throughout Luke and Acts. Listen to what he says. In itself, without the element of personal faith and experience, even the most profound aspects of the good news are not self-confirming but instead lead to skepticism and even outright rejection. This is why whenever the gospel's preached, and it can be someone opening the Bible and teaching on a Sunday morning, it can be someone giving you a book that's about Jesus. It's about the biblical Jesus, the true Jesus. It could be you're flipping through the radio and you hear someone talking about Christ. It can be somebody at work sharing what Jesus has done in their life. And some of us, when we hear that, like our heart leaps, Right? We, we're magnetized to that. And it leaves us amazed. It leaves us perplexed. It leads us seeking to know more. But possibly even some of you this morning, even though you would, ne'er, you would never dare stand up while I'm preaching and point at me and laugh, which I really wish you would, then we would like be able to know where we stand, right? We could at least help you. <laughs> but very... Hard to find in Jones County somebody that would defy organized religion in that way, right? And probably if you kind of did that, somebody might tackle you, okay? Because anyway, we won't get into that. Um, what is happening here is that oftentimes, even in churches, when the gospel is proclaimed, people reject it with all their heart. And they mock and they scoff. And let me tell you this this morning. If that's you on the inside, let me just tell you this morning, and I pray that the Spirit would, would speak these words to your heart. Anytime you hear the Word of God and you're able to mentally comprehend it and there is a tug at your heart to believe it, you may never have that opportunity again. Because God is not bound to offer you multiple chances for forgiveness. But your entire life, he has been stretching out his arms to you, pleading with you to repent and believe the gospel and to look to his son so that your sins might be forgiven. And for some of you this morning, that may be the case. You may think that it just filled with new wine, but it's not. So we have this crowd that comes together. They come together by supernatural work of God. I want you to see big point, big truth number two this morning. In response to these people multiple times asking the question, what does this mean? Peter stood to explain. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I want, it's worth noting 
So perplexed, what does this mean? Mocking, oh, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give ear to my words. Let me just stop here and say what an amazing thing it is for Peter to stand at this moment. Now, this is the type of stuff that he talked about when he was around Jesus and tried to flex his biceps about how awesome he was and how loyal he was and how he was going to stay with Jesus. But then what happens? In front of 12-year-old servant girls, teenage servant girls, what does he do? He flakes out, right? Not now. I think it's interesting for us to note here that Peter stood with the other apostles as different people. Peter stood with the other apostles as different people. Why is that important? Before the book of Acts, what had happened? These dudes had come together, and they had told Jesus how they were going to be with him to the end, and then the police show up, and they scatter, right? They run away. Peter goes and tries to show more loyalty, and he denies Jesus three times. There's only one of these men that is there to the end, and it's John, probably the youngest of all of them. He takes care of Mary. But you see, now notice, it's not just Peter standing. It's, I circled this in my Bible. He is standing with the eleven. Not only has God brought power upon these men, he has brought unity among these men. Peter is standing with the other apostles, Paul, if we could put that up, as different people. They're completely different. And why are they completely different? Because in believing and obeying Jesus, they have been waiting on Jesus to send the Holy Spirit in obedience. And then it's sometimes it's not forceful action that gets us to where we need to be. It is waiting in obedience to what Jesus said that gets us to where we need to be. If they would have tried to rush out on day one and tried to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel, they would have been coward and tucked their tails and run back to where they were before. But now they are completely different people. And this is why you and I need to continually put ourselves before the Lord this is why we need to be filled with the Spirit continually. Peter was filled here, and then I mentioned to you, he's going to be filled in chapter 4. He's going to be filled throughout the book. And this is why all of us have to come back and say, Lord, help me, empower me, use me. Help me to be what I could not be in my own self, but I can be with your power. And it's amazing to know that there were other people there. You see, praise God, right now, we don't stand alone. We don't. We've been united and empowered together with the Spirit of God. So Peter stands, and I think it's important for us to see how, how different he is. But notice he not only stood with the apostles, but, but secondly, he stood to proclaim a supernatural explanation. It's kind of funny here. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. He could have stopped there, but notice what he says. It's only the third hour of the day. It's only 9 a.m. Now, don't go in your mind to that person that you know that that could be them at 9 a.m. Don't do that. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And these guys walking up and down the streets, shouting and praising, like that doesn't happen to people as early in the morning if they are inebriated. That doesn't happen. So he says there is no natural explanation for what has happened happened here. And it could be the reference to wine that causes Paul later on to write, don't be drunk with wine because that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So this, this contrast between wine does control people, right? Now, I didn't see it in any high school games, but maybe if you're at a college game or a pro game, you've probably seen people that you understood real quickly that they were not in control. The alcohol was control of them, right? Because they say certain things and they do certain things and then they go viral on social media, right? But rather than you be controlled with new wine or alcohol, in the spirit you're able to be controlled by someone that controls you completely, and yet at the same time, you act 
out of yourself. Because you know, Peter doesn't talk in tongues here when he stands up. He's speaking in Aramaic because that was the common language of all these people. So, you know, he didn't like hit a switch. Let me go from whatever language I'm speaking back to Aramaic. But I do see, now check this out. I do see where he is knowing that the Spirit's working through him. And yet at the same time, he has a responsibility to stand and open his mouth. See that? So there's a balance between, this is important. There's a balance between the Spirit using us and yet us as believers not neglecting when it is time for us to open our mouth. Sometimes the Spirit opens our mouth and we know it ain't us. It's him opening it. (laughs) You ever got into a conversation in like 30 seconds in and say, how did this happen? But it's like wide open door for the gospel and you're in it and you can't get out of it. So you got to, yeah, we're going to stick with it and share Jesus. But then there's sometimes where you're sitting with someone and the Lord is saying, you open your mouth. That's what Peter does here. And what is he doing? He's explaining. Now look who he addresses in verse 14. I want to mention this. Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Now, what, was, what did Jesus tell us? We, we know this verse, or hopefully we've heard it before. We've mentioned it several times in our Acts study. But Acts 1.8, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? You can tell me. Where? First in? First in? Jerusalem. First in? And then? Judea and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So it was going to start, the mission was going to start in Jerusalem and then continue to Judea. And notice what he says in 2.14, men of Judea and men in Jerusalem. What do we see? Immediately we see Acts 1.8 being fulfilled right here. One chapter later. Here it is. Because the gospel is about to be proclaimed. And Peter's about to be a witness first in Jerusalem and in Judea. Why? Because the Spirit has come upon him. Notice what he says in verse 16. These guys aren't hammered. They're not drunk. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. The old King James says, this is that. You want to know what this is? It's that. And one one old preacher said, look at our congregations today. Look at our churches today. When we read Acts 2 is... This, that is, is what we're doing now. Is it what's in the scripture? It's a great question to ask, isn't it? Is what we're doing acts like? Is what we are experiencing acts like? I don't say that to guilt trip. It's just a way for us to examine. When we meet, do you hear the spirit of God speaking, ministering? Do you go away at least with a touch of more love for Jesus and more obedience to Jesus and a longing and a treasuring of Jesus? That's what it means to be acts like. And so Peter says, you want to know what's happening? It's what Joel said. And this is the bridge into what Peter will preach the rest of chapter 2. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So he says, there is no natural explanation, no alcohol. There's a supernatural explanation. And what is it? God is this day fulfilling what Joel prophesied. So Peter stands. Peter. Meathead Peter. Ignorant Peter. Right? Weak Peter. I'm going to follow you and flake out in front of a teenage girl, Peter. So encouraging that all of us with our resume of failures and weaknesses, that by the grace of God, we can stand and speak the truth to whoever we come in contact with. Finally, this morning, I want you to see his explanation. So what is the explanation of Pentecost? Peter quotes here, Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32. Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32. Peter explains what's happening. Now, if, if you remember, one of the things that Justin told us about the book of Acts that Jesus was doing in those 40 days, he was trying to connect in these disciples' minds his work and the Spirit's work to the Old Testament. So these testaments, it's not really the Old Testament, the New Testament. Men have said it's the less recent Testament and the more recent Testament. It's a good way to see it. One story. And Peter is saying, we were told about these things happening, and now they're happening because in 40 days, Jesus connected the dots, the Old Testament dots. He's connecting to his person and his work and what the Spirit is going to do in them. And he says, this is what it is. 
And he lays out how this is a fulfillment. Now, I should mention to you as you read through these, and I'm just going to mention a few things finally this morning. Not all of these came to pass on Pentecost, but what this is, this is an ushering of an age of the Spirit. Because there's a few references here to judgment. And right now the sun didn't turn to darkness and the moon hasn't turned to blood and the day of the Lord hadn't come yet. Now it's coming. So don't see this as, okay, all this happened on Pentecost. No, it's ushering in an age where all of this can happen, but this is important. Peter stands to explain, and what is he explaining? Verse 17, in these last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Let me give you a little application. What is the explanation? First, God has poured out his spirit, fulfilling prophecy. Peter said, you want to know what this is? This is God pouring out his spirit. This is God pouring out his spirit. This is God keeping his word. This is God fulfilling something that was spoken hundreds of years ago. You want to know what it is? It's God fulfilling his word. This isn't manufactured We didn't pull out some potion in the corner and pour this on us. Jesus went up and he told us to wait. And now we are waiting. And now as a result of our waiting, Jesus and the Father have poured out the Spirit. This is the work of God. All flesh. As we continue in verse 17, notice what it says. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Check this out. Not only had God poured out his spirit, but his spirit was available to all. All are now invited to know God. All flesh. No matter whether you are a son or a daughter, no matter what gender you are, no matter whether you're a boy or a girl or a man or a woman, the Spirit is available to you. No matter your age, whether you're young or whether you're old, the Spirit is available to you. No matter your status, because in verse 18, servants and female servants, did you notice this? This is what caught my eye earlier. Even on my male servants and female servants, whatever status you are in life, check this out. If you have his spirit, you are his. No matter how old you are, young you are, no matter what your life looks like, no matter where you are in life, your status in life, the spirit is available to you as it is to every, as he is to everyone else. All are invited to know God. Peter further explains that anyone can hear from God and be used by God. We have sons and daughters prophesying. We have young men seeing visions. We have old men dreaming dreams. We have male servants and female servants prophesying. Now, what does all that mean? God's speaking to them. Isn't it amazing you don't have to have a PhD in Greek or Hebrew or systematic theology? You don't. Some of us, we just struggle with English, right? And yet God can speak to us. Because his sheep hear his voice and he knows them and they follow him. There is no prerequisite for being used by God other than willingness. God, use me. God, I want to be obedient to you. I want to be holy. I want to strive after you. I want to seek after you. See, some of you, let me encourage you this morning. Some of you don't believe you can can be used by God. That's a lie. Go read in the Bible about all the people that God used and how a bunch of them would be people that we would never pick to be like be on our team to do things, right? God picks from everywhere. People with great intellect, people with, with less intellect, people with crazy giftings, people with what we might say not so crazy giftings. But you know what? Oftentimes... It's what goes on behind the scenes that is much greater than what is done in public because what is done behind the scenes sets the atmosphere and the spirit for what happens in the scene. 
Some of you don't believe you can be used by God. Reject that lie and believe that no matter who you are, how old you are, where you come from, what's been happening in your life, what Jesus has forgiven you of. You can speak, you can live, you can be used. He then refers to judgment here. The judgment will come, and this is the great truth this morning. Not only can anyone hear from God, but everyone who calls on him can be saved. I don't care what your baggage is this morning. Jesus Christ came and died for people just like you. And he has saved people just like you. And he has restored people just like you. Your situation is not beyond his grace. Your sin is not too horrible that it can't be redeemed. Everyone who calls, see, this is our response. We call, we look, we place faith, we turn from sin. We don't trust our sin. We look to Jesus alone. We don't add anything to what he's done. We put all our faith in what he's done. We completely trust his death on the cross and his resurrection and his perfect life that me, though I'm a sinner and I can't do anything to save myself, Jesus has done everything to save me and that's what I rest in. That's the gospel. He brings us back. Do you really believe Jesus can fix you this morning? He can. No matter where any of these people had come from, all over the globe, yet everyone who calls on his name will be saved. Justin mentioned this to me. Because when you get called out of the bullpen, you at least ask the man who studied all week what he wanted to share, right? Some of what I shared this morning is from his heart also. Justin mentioned this to me. He said, bro, you know what this is a picture of? And I said, what is it? He said, think about Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and through 14, that one day before the throne of God, there will be people from every tongue, every tribe, every language, and every nation. He's like, bro, that's what's going on right here. We got, we got Jews from all over the world that are standing, and the gospel's being proclaimed. And then, so, so I started thinking about that, and I started saying, Okay, like built into my assumption is that we'll see later in the chapter, the 3,000 people that were saved, they came from this big multitude. So obviously there's far more than 3,000 people gathering. But it's been in my assumption, I guess for as long as I've studied scripture and preached scripture, that the early church was made up of all 3,000 of these people. Now, while they, there was a portion of that, there's no way that if you came for Pentecost and you're in Jerusalem for a couple weeks, like you're not staying there for the rest of your life because you got to go back to Mesopotamia or you got to go back to Parthia or you got to go back to Arabia or you got to go back to Rome. There's a great case to be made here that the church of Rome that we find later happened because of the people that were saved on Pentecost. And so they came there and God drew them there and God saved them there. And then guess what? At least some of them went back to their homes. Oh, the wisdom and greatness of God. He has, through an Old Testament feast, drawn his people together, poured his spirit out on them, preached the gospel to them. So God, check this out, finally this morning, God saved these people to then send them back out to the world. Up, down, out. There it is. Jesus went up. The spirit came down for the church to go out. And I'm thankful one day that before the throne of God in Revelation chapter 7, we'll see Jacob Borgeld over, over there, and with him will be a bunch of Lareem believers. And we'll look to this side, and we'll see tribes from Africa that are there. We'll find the Gadib people in North India that live in the Himalayas, they'll be there. We'll find people groups from South America and Australia and every place in between. And it just might be that you find yourself there and you look around and you see a bunch of Jones County people there because God enabled you to stand and proclaim and live and love and share because God saves his people to send them out. The crowd gathered. But God was gathering, and Peter stood to explain the best he could, but what was happening, God was explaining through him. God can use you this morning in the same way. 
Believe it. Believe it. Father, we thank you for Scripture. Thank you for the Word. It's so good to study Scripture together. It's so good to have you work in our hearts. We can identify with Peter. We can identify with these disciples who locked the doors because they were scared. God, we're thankful that you use nobodies like us to accomplish your eternal purposes. And God, I pray for the Christian first this morning that feels like they can't be used. Maybe the enemy's beating them up over the sin that they formerly committed before they became a Christian. Lord, I pray, let them hear the message of the gospel again. Lord, let them believe the fact that you use all of us in spite of who we are. God, we pray this morning for believers that you would fill us once again with the Holy Spirit so that we could be who you've called us to be. God, I pray for those in here that do not know Jesus, that might even inwardly mock the work of God and the people around them. And Lord, you will melt their hearts. You will open their hearts. You will create hunger in their hearts for the gospel. You will enable them to hear. You will open their eyes to turn them from the power of Satan to the power of God, that you would grant them repentance leading to life, that they would come to you, God, be saved out of unbelief, out of Bible Belt religion, and know Jesus. Apply your word to our hearts, Lord, we ask. Churches, we sit before the Lord in prayer. As God is applying the scripture to your heart, to your circumstance, and specifically, be obedient, believe. If you don't know Christ this morning, we as pastors would love to sit down with you and share. I'll be here at the front if you need someone to speak to. All of us will be available after the service if you need counseling. The way that we love Jesus is that we obey Jesus. It's God speaking to you this morning. Obey, believe, surrender. Let him do that work in your life. So let's stand and let's worship Jesus. You pray and respond as God leads you. Daniel, lead us, brother.